right, well, we are in the middle of our Circles series, and this Circles series is about all the circles of relationships that we are in, and last week we began with the circle of our family. Today we're going to talk about the circle of friends and all of these ways that uh, we are really placed by God in these important relationships and how we can love and lead the people in our lives, because the reality is we're designed for relationship. We are uniquely designed for relationship. That's how God made us. If you look at some species, uh, they're designed for more solo life. Human beings are designed for community. We're designed for relationship. And I think that's more because God himself is relationship. God is relationship. This is one of the uh, mysteries of, of the Godhead, uh, that our one God is actually plural. And uh, later in the uh, church era, it was, you know, determined that this is a trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. So we're starting to get some language around what it means for our one God to be triune or our one God to be plural. And we see this alive and well in Genesis chapter 1. I want to show you sort of the the Hebrew uh, tenses or the Hebrew plural nature of Genesis 1.26 as God, who is Elohim, which is a plural name, uh, really presents not only who he is, but who we are. Check this out, Genesis 1.26. The Hebrew word there, God, is plural. God said, let us, plural, make, which is a plural verb, man in our plural image after our plural likeness. You get the point? Our one God is plural. And he designed us in his image. And so we're designed for plurality. We're designed for relationship. And then later in the New Testament, you see Jesus praying to his heavenly father just before the cross. And this is considered to be, you know, the holy of holies of of God's word as Jesus himself, the son of God, is praying to his father. And what does he say? He talks about plurality. He talks about us. He's praying for us. And he says, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Plurality. It's all about us. It's all about being together. God is one yet plural. We are designed for for plurality. We're designed for a relationship. And we're designed for a relationship not just with each other, but with God himself. And so when we get started on this series called Circles, we've identified family and friends because that's how God defines us. God defines us in a familiar relationship. And God designs us as a friend relationship. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, God talks about how we're his family. We're his children. God decided to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's the core gospel. That's the core good news that God brings us to himself into his family circle through Jesus Christ. It's all a gift of grace. God does it all. We can't get ourselves there. God just says through Jesus, my son, I am telling you, you are my son. You are my daughter. You're in my family. But then God also describes us as friends. He describes us as friends. In fact, uh, Jesus gave a, a parable, it's one of my favorite, that describes our relationship with each other and our relationship with him as a friendship relationship. In fact, he describes it as a, as a house party, a massive house party. Jesus tells this parable of a, of, a, of a man who wants to throw a party at his house. And that man is, is a representation of God himself. Listen to this. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. Come, the banquet is ready. But some began to make excuses. Got to wash my hair. So the man said, go out to the people who are normally not invited to these kinds of parties, to the streets and the alleys of the town, and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The master says, I want everybody here. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. It's a big place. 
And so the master said, go outside of town, go to the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. You see the heart of God there? God wants a full house party. And this isn't talking about heaven, it's talking about right here, right now. That's what God wants to see. God wants his people to, to, to live life in such a way, to be so connected to each other and so connected with God that we have a house party. Lots of people piled all over each other, right? Loving each other, living as friends, living as friends. And I love um, when the servant reported, there's still room for more. And God says, just keep them coming. So God designed us to live in circles of friendship. So I'm going to invite up a couple of friends of mine. We've got Elaine Romero and we've got Ryan Beaver to come on up. Let's welcome them to the stage. They're going to tell us a little bit about friendships and um, how they kind of roll. Now, Elaine is a marriage family therapist. She's been up here quite a bit. In fact, if you remember the Between Two Ears series, she's up here a lot. Uh, she does marriage retreats for us and all kinds of stuff. And uh, you're the executive director of Safe Harbor Counseling here in town. And then, uh, and then there's Ryan. So, Elaine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people. That's right. Ryan has actually uh, uh, been a friend of ours for a very long time. Uh, children's pastor here, and you were a teaching pastor over at Marietta for a good long time. And uh, Ryan is Mr. Friendship Circle. He got circles of circles of friends I can't even keep track of. I just like friends. I like you, people. You like friends. Yeah. That's right. That's a good thing. I don't know why I have never yeah. been invited over. <laughs> There we go. We'll solve that. We'll solve that. <laughs> Scott might not be wired the same way. Uh, yeah, we're a little different. We'll talk about that. We'll talk, your friendship circles, like uh, however many hundreds you have, kind of exhaust me. I'm a little bit more of a solo guy. But I've got, I've got circles of friends that are, are very important. I've, I, have, I had to go through a journey to get those. So we'll, we'll talk about we that. We should talk about that. We're going to right now. All right, here we go. I'm going to start with a real simple question. Why are friendships so important? And I'm not talking about sort of that surface level acquaintance, you know, how you doing fine, that kind of stuff. I'm talking about like deeply committed friendships. Why are those so important, Elaine? Well, you know, I think a friendship is such a different role in your life, right? Like when you're um, in a marriage or you have children, there's a much more intentional way that you're connecting and there's more that you have to invest and more you have to take care of. But with a friendship, it's like, um, we were talking about Proverbs 27, 9, where they say a sweet friendship is refreshing to the soul. And it's so true, right? Because I can go to coffee with my girlfriend and she just has to show up, right? And she doesn't have to fix me or, and there's, I don't have to take care of her problems. She doesn't have to take care of my problems, but her acknowledgement and just listening to me and validating like, wow, it's hard that you're going through what you're going through. It is... It, it does so much for our mental health. We need those relationships in addition to the other relationships that we have. I agree. It's a different kind of relationship. So family is is very much you know covenantal in the sense that there's a there's a marriage bond there by covenant. There's kids and that you are obligated even by law to to take care of <laughs> whether you want to or not. But that's a different kind of unique covenantal, better for worse kind of a deal that uh, if well-navigated, as we talked about last week, can be incredibly rich and empowering and fun. The other pillar of life is that friendship, which is not necessarily covenantal, it's all voluntary, which is a cool deal that says, I choose you, I choose to pour some of my life into you and vice versa, and I'm here for you. I, I love enjoy that. enjoy you. Yeah, that's a big part of it right? too, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I enjoy being around you and I'm making the time. That, that feels good for sure. Ryan, uh, one of your favorite verses about friendships is Ecclesiastes 4. 
And it says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. And I really love that about, uh, about a deeply connected friend is you're in it so that the other person will succeed. So you're pouring life yeah. into them and encouragement and sometimes even you know, a word or two that they might not like to hear, but you're wanting them to succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Uh, you're literally never alone in life. <laughs> I, I, try, I try. I try to avoid it at all costs. Yes. It's very uncomfortable. You've got I don't know how many hundreds of friends. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that I have hundreds of friends, but I would say that I really, truly like. I. It's really important to me to, yeah. to be. To, I, I like fun, and I think being with people is fun. And I think I, I, that verse. I remember uh, when Scott told me about this. I was like, I'll look up some verses to to see. And, I, and there was a few verses that I just had float around in my head, and they were all in that one passage. All Ecclesiastes four. Yeah, Ecclesiastes four nine through twelve. And and it was like you know the you know the three a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Though when when one falls, it can be picked up. And I'm thinking when when you can't get your kids to football practice, your friends can help. And <laughs> it's like there's just all these examples of you know you ask why it's so important for me. It, like my life would be unsustainable without friends. It truly would be. Aside from the 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 like the comfort to my soul that a friendship is just. Doing life, I have four kids that are all really busy. I'm busy. My wife's busy. We have got to rely upon our friends, and uh, and so we do. And and we've, I mean, I've, I've told you this, but we we like we have this moment in a friendship with with, with our closest friends where we kind of have that talk. Where we're like, okay, can we just get this out on the table? There's no reason to be awkward about this. Like, can we like agree that we're going to be okay asking each other for favors? Can we agree that we're going to like be totally okay to say, hey, can you bring Jacks home from school today? And and we do that with our close friends, and it's. It is truly like the only way we're able to do life the way that we do it. So you have this incredibly busy life from uh, truly six in the morning to about nine or 10 at night. Almost every day is just stacked up for you. So you do actually literally rely yes. on, on, on busy families helping each other out, just get through the day. But also when you've got an extra five minutes, you want to hang out with friends. Yeah. And that's just how, that's how you're wired. I, I, it's great. I don't know why, but I am. Well, that's fantastic. And, and I would say yes. this: I would say that, that that I am wired that way. And I think an important thing with this is that, like, as we talk about friendships, like, uh, I am I am not alone in this. I had somebody out there uh, after the last service said, "Ryan, you're my spirit animal," which is which is awesome. <laughs> but uh, but there's also people like Ryan. You are really annoying. Just the idea of of that many friends just just gives me a headache. So I it, we are all different. Right. But I do think that the overall principle of, of friendship is, is that is a, a blanket statement. Friendship is important, having friends in our life. So whether you're wired like you or wired like me, and I tend to have you know, definitely a, a public life, and, and sometimes that means that my solace or charge is more private. And so my circle of friends are smaller than yours, but they're, every bit is intentional, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But um, just having to, to, to validate and value the fact that I cannot be alone, I cannot live this life alone, and really, I hate to put it like this, but it's true that family's not enough. It's not enough. In the equation of, of life, family's really important. We led with that last week. But you've got to have that second pillar of, of friendship in order to really make life fully supportive, whether you're Mr. Social or whether you like a little bit more alone. And just a little, I mean, you say family's not enough, and I, I think what I would say is that your family is going to struggle greatly if you don't have the friendship. Like, I think, I think yeah. surrounding your family with, with close friends that are like-minded is super important, which... You know, well, and your friends become a family of families. Yes. Right? My, my wife has one of those, you know, none of you have these towels with these little funny words printed on and hanging. But my, my wife has several of them, and one of them is family. It's, it's the, the family you get to choose. But, oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. that Live, I like laugh, that. love. That, that one, too. What's the verse? As for me in this household. Why don't you all share those on your Instagrams? <laughs> no, don't do that. All right. We know the importance of friendship for mental health, for relational health, health 
for truly survival when you have complicated lives to be able to rely on each other. Yet Americans in particular are, notori in particular are notorious for being lonely creatures. There have been hundreds, maybe thousands of books and articles written about you know, the lonely American or lonely in a crowd. And, and I think that that's a true, well-studied phenomenon. And part of that might be that the American origin stories are all about sort of rugged individualism. You know, I'm going west with my two people and we're gonna plot out some land. I'm going to the hills to, you know, pick out some gold. So anyway. Uh, wow, we're going way back. We're going, we're going, well, these are the origin stories, right? About <laughs> rugged individualism and my freedom and my opportunity. So I think our culture was founded on sort of me. And, and it's harder for us to break out. That might not be so true of the Midwest, but definitely here in Southern California, we talk about this a lot. Fences are six feet high, so you can't see another eyeball. Front doors are closed. Garage doors are closed. It basically means keep out, right? Not you guys. Those are the Shuddersons. Yes, the shutter. Yes, exactly. I like that. That's good. Instead of the Johnsons, the Shuddersons. I like that. I love that. That's good. Write that down. Why is it so hard for Americans to build these kinds of deep connections? I, well, I think a big part of it is the busyness, right? We're all very busy and with kids and careers and things like that. I think children, it's a lot more seamless and easy for them to make, and, and adolescents, you know, that's, that's their life. It's all about their friends, right? But when you have all these other components and hats you have to wear, um, it becomes a little bit more difficult. I would also say um, social media, although we celebrate it because it connects us in great ways, um, it, it, it's not as, you aren't as intentional, right? So I might be less likely to call that girlfriend to have coffee with, because I already see what's happening in her day. So it's kind of a, it gets us a little lazy and it gets, it gets a little more comfortable not to make those connections. So we embrace social media because it does connect the world. I mean, very literally connects the world. And we can be connected with our third grade best friend, you know, and it's real connection, but it can sort of truncate the, okay, pick up the phone and call or schedule a meeting because you feel as though you're kind of familiar with them. But it really doesn't get to that point of, of deep connections. Right. Um, how are those deep connections made, Ryan? It, it, do, it doesn't really happen by accident. Deep Friendships happen on purpose. Yeah, I would, I would say it, they happen on purpose. They happen with intentionality. And they, they happen when you're willing to risk a little something, when you're willing to, to be vulnerable, when you're willing to, to step into, I, I say step into the awkward, because sometimes you're like, hey, maybe, maybe this, this, this family seems nice. Maybe we, and then it's like, oh, no, that was, that was just awkward. That was not good. We both felt it, and you know, we'll just kind of wave and as we pass each other. we're moving on. Yeah, but, but there truly is, there is, there is the, the awkwardness of it. There's the vulnerability of it. And, and for me, one of the, I mean, the, the things that I think makes it, some people so afraid or, or hesitant to, to pursue friendship is that you, it's risky in the sense that you're, you're, you're opening yourself up to almost certain, the certainty that you, you can be hurt. You know, if you are opening yourself up to people, um, you, there's the, all the benefits that come with it, but, but the people that can hurt us oftentimes are the ones that are closest to us, the ones that can really hurt us. I know for my wife and I, my wife is, she, she is a people person, but she's like a, a healthy, normal people person. I'm like a over the top, I just like, like I'm always the more the merrier. And, and when we were at, uh, at Marietta about, you know, eight, nine years ago, we were, we were trying to create this culture within our church was like, like we want to see families leaving together. We want to see families, like not leaving the church, like just for lunch, you know, but going, going to lunch together, doing, doing life together, that was our hope. And we were like aggressively trying to model that. And that was great for me and, and bless my, my wife's heart. She was up for it too. But, but we had a moment where we're like, wow, we, we opened up a lot wider than we normally would our circles of friends and, and we got hurt. We got nothing. It wasn't like some great betrayal of any, but it was, it was, it was a, we, we went through some things where 
uh, you know, my wife and I looked at each other and said, we might need to, we might just shrink this up. And I, I know in one of the earlier services, Elaine said, Ryan, you, you learned boundaries. That's called boundaries. At the age of 35, about, <laughs> I learned boundaries. So, yeah, but it, it, was, it was a very real uh, feeling there. And I know that that is something that people probably hesitate to, because why, why risk that if I just kind of stay you know, with my just me and the closest. Well, there is for sure a risk to develop deep, deep friendships. I kind of equate it to going out in the ocean, you know, beach weather's coming up, thankfully, and um, you go into the water and it might be a little cold and you take a step and you let it sit and you take another step and do I really want to get in? And with every step you take, you get a little bit more comfortable. And so that's that intentional risk taking with a, with a friend as you're hanging out, there seems to be a camaraderie, let's get that coffee and then let's reveal something a little bit vulnerable you, and having you, a hard time with marriage. You've shared this a couple of times and I'm thinking to myself, this is ironic, but like w when it comes to the pool or the beach, yeah. I am not the tiptoe guy. Yeah, you're the, I'm like, I just get it all over <laughs> with it and it fits with your analogy with friends. Like, 100%. Hey, let's just be but, friends. So taking the risks, yeah. whether it's a dive in head first or whether it's slow, you know, kind of more boundary driven, that, that we're going to risk this relationship to see, are they a safe person? I'm, I'm revealing I'm having a, tr a trouble with my marriage. How are they going to respond? Are they going to awkwardly go into a bush because they don't want to have a conversation about it? Or are they going to engage in a healthy way? Okay, well, now that's a safe zone with that conversation. And you can naturally move it forward. Um, but with the vulnerability of friendship comes the vulnerability of, of, of hurt. For sure. And, you know, that's something that we have to remember is that people are at all different levels with that. So you might be an extrovert like Ryan, I am too, and I wilt when I don't have friendships, and so you get energized by that. Sometimes people who are introverts, you know, they definitely like connection, but they also need a lot of their alone time to recharge themselves. And then we also have attachment style. So attachment style has to do with, we're all hardwired for connection, um, but we also have differences in our level of comfort with connection. So based on maybe what happened in your family of origin, whether or not um, you were taught that or given warmness or your needs were met, you might feel really comfortable and secure with friendships and attachments. But for those of us who maybe, you know, went through trauma or went through emotional injuries, there might be more comfort at keeping things a little more at arm's length, and that's okay. And so in friendship, it's kind of like and none of those are pathological, by the way. It's, it's just a difference in how people are. So there's kind of this ebb and flow of figuring out your friendships with people. And, uh, and so, a mutual respect. Yeah, 100%, you know? regardless of your, of your uh, connecting style. So I'm kind of your poster child, firstborn child of an alcoholic. And so my whole framework was about kind of block out emotional closeness for my own kind of sanity, especially I did that intentionally as an adolescent. I'm like blocking out any kind of closeness. Safety. It's safety and control. And so I got into this, I'm gonna control my world. Here's what I'm gonna study. Here's what I'm gonna do. Here's what I'm going to achieve. And, and when, so when somebody got a little close, it's like, you're gonna put a wall up. Um, and so I had to learn, especially as I got to know my wife who came from a very wonderful family life. I better learn how to connect. And so uh, with the help of some therapists, as well as, of course, you know, just studying how God can heal, you know, wounds like that, that allow you to appropriately sort of crack that heart open and to let people in. So for me, it's a little bit, uh, it was a little bit of a slower go. Um, and that could do, that could do with childhood. It can, it can, it can go to how we're wired. It can go to life experience. Emotional injuries. All of it, right? All of it. Uh, Ten years ago, around here, I was getting a, an annual review from our board, and they asked me the question, are you deeply connected with friends? 
and I had to admit that I really wasn't. Um, this position can sometimes be a little isolating, and I had to admit, I do not have good friendship. And they said, well, you need to go get some friends. <laughs> so, go find I, friends, I, Yeah, go find friends. And, uh, and I did. I got involved in our network of churches, about a thousand churches, and I just started traveling to meet people, and I have met some of the most wonderful friends that are that kind of deep circle that if anything happens, and personally or professionally, I have got an army of people to go to, but that's a contentionality and a lot of risk. Right. So if there's anyone here who is feeling as though, you know, I don't have those deeply connected friends, what would you say is the first step? If you're feeling a little isolated, uh, what's that first step? Well, I mean, I think first step is to recognize there's seasons, right? There's seasons where you do have this like great circle of friends and then suddenly you're, those can change and shift depending on a lot of factors. And then there's other times where you're like, I'm not feeling connected. And so I think the first step is just to identify that and to then to make those efforts and to figure out the level of, you know, friendships that you need. And so, yeah, I think it's just more um, first identifying if you need more of that in your life. Yeah, so a little bit of a self-evaluation, and uh, that's always good, so you're not doing things that are too much or too, too little, but kind of what you need in that season of life. And then maybe to just pick up that phone, send that text, let's have a coffee, right? Let, let's, you want to come over to the Which house. It's been hard, right? Well, it's been hard. So let's talk pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we're, we're talking about friendship coming hopefully out of a, of a pandemic where people have been isolated, and that has a dramatic impact. How have you seen isolation impacts kids and families in particular? Well, for, for sure, as, as we're working with kids and coaching kids, and I mean, I've had countless families just say, my, my, my child who was outgoing, my, my sweet, joy-filled child has just gone into a shell, and it breaks your heart to hear these stories, and, and parents are finding different ways to, to solve it. I mean, I'm, I'm at kids' sporting events, and I'm hearing parents go, oh my gosh, this is, this is everything my kid needed. It's, it's like, it's just a simple flag football game, but for them, it's like, wow. And so, I mean, I, I've seen it take a toll there. I've seen it take, take a toll with adults as well. I know, I know for, for my family, there's a few moments, and, and that we, when we tried, I mean, we, we created a, uh, about a month into the quarantine, I remember like we were like, enough is enough. We need to get together with our friends. And so we did like an outdoor uh, drive-in movie at, at uh, the McLean's house. And I remember something, I remember in the middle of that, that beautiful moment where we're all, we're all socially distanced, we're watching someone else, and my wife's like tearing up. And I'm like, I get it. Like, no, I'm like, why, why are you crying? Like, this is weird. But now I'm like, no, I, I get it. And I think one of the things that I would say is that for me, the, the, if you want to know how, how drastic the effect is of, or dra- how drastically people have felt this, I would say look at the, the like, almost like awkwardly over-the-top over reaction of like we're getting back to normal. Yeah. Like, like people that get to experience some sense of normal now, whether it be a sporting event, whether it be a hug, it's like, oh, that was so great. It's like something we normally would have thought was just whatever. Now it's like, oh, I missed that, you know? Yep. But we have. We've all missed a lot of those normalcies. And, and I think one of the things that can happen when we are in a period of isolation uh, you know, Elaine, you talked a lot about this, that you're in, you're in a period of isolation and we're not necessarily wired for that. What can happen to us mentally and emotionally? Oh, yeah. I mean, it can kind of be a downward spiral. And we've seen that a lot at Safe Harbor just this last year, of, you know, where people, maybe even if they already had a pre-existing issue with depression or anxiety, you know, then you tend to self-isolate. And then the more you isolate, then the more depressed you get. And then the more you depressed you get, yeah. the more you isolate. So it's kind of like this cycle. And so it has been really challenging because a lot of times even we as therapists will encourage people to get out and, you know, make connections. And yet 
it's hard for people to do that. And people are tired of being on Zoom and they're tired of, you know, because they're doing it all day for school or for work. And so it's just been a really challenging year. And, you know, I know my team and I, we were like, we're just like basically telling people, we know, we get it, you know, because there's, it's like hard to like advise how to help people with that. Yeah. And, and part of it is, I would imagine, just helping people kind of get past that, that spir- downward spiral and to start getting you know, some thoughts in their heads that are a little bit more positive, a little more proactive, then make some decisions. You know, get out, go to that first meal out, ask that friend a coffee, and then we'll see if we can get this thing back in the right direction. And I think one of the things that has probably most injured our country is that we're in isolation, this political nightmare hits us, racial tension nightmare hits us, and we're isolated. And so it's easy to just kind of fire away social media and and just assume the worst in people. And so we have been fighting and bickering as a country when it comes to politics, religion, race, everybody taking sides, kind of going into their tribes and hurting each other. Hopefully, and this is my prayer, that we start getting connected back person to person. Oh, you're not the enemy I thought you were. We disagree over politics. Okay, big deal. We're buddies. Let, let's go. Right, right. Let, let's, let's, you know, spur each other on to, to think through things. But we don't have to be enemies. We can be great friends and still disagree about stuff. That, that, the art of that was lost, I don't know how long ago, at least 15 months ago, but probably before that. Hopefully, as people now reemerge and reappreciate human beings, that will take the tone of our country way down. And the beauty of the pandemic is I think we're all going to appreciate friendships at a whole nother level now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Let's wrap up talking about the church here. Um, we have an opportunity to say, okay, we're coming back every single week. More and more people are coming back. I'm loving it. And we're making some changes out there. We're putting a fence up so kids can play without, you know, risk of going into a Fort Lane highway. It's going to be nice. <laughs> more food out there. Just more just, uh, coffee's out there already. Just, just to, to be a gathering of friends. Because that's really what the word church means. It just means a gathering. And it's a gathering of friends who are following Jesus in mission, wanting to, you know, impact the world through mercy, justice, and love. There ought to be smiles and laughter, not that sour religious face, but smiles and laughter and friends. Um, what is the difference or how can a church go from being a, you know, just a crowd of strangers to a deeply connected, um, you know, meaningful group of friends? Ryan, what, what are some ideas? So for me, um, I will tell you that one of the what I've been I've worked at several different churches over the last 20 years, and what, and every church really wants to try to create opportunities. I mean, they, they are it, it is one of the main focuses of your planning and your prepping. How can we create opportunities for people to connect? And that's that's great and it's good. And, and sometimes these things are incredibly uh, effective, and they allow people to do that. And sometimes you know they, they don't they don't quite land the way you'd hope they would. But the one thing I've realized over the years is that is that programs are great, but programs will never will, they'll never take the place of of people that just get it and they realize this is something I need to prioritize. So as individuals, if, if, if you can, if, if we get a number of individuals that get this, and there are definitely people that do. I mean, I, last week I was checking kids out of church and, uh, and I, you know, the, I got through the line. I looked to see if was left and no one was left checking out, but there was like three or four families just in a circle talking. And it was one of those moments where like, oh, normal. Like, this is wonderful. And I went over like, what are you guys doing? You can't do this right now. You're like, you're having friendly, friendly conversations. It was, it was awesome. And, and for them, that's clearly a thing. And I know that there's some days you just got to go. But, but for me, if, if people begin to prioritize it to the point where like, listen, you plan on lingering a bit, linger out there, hang out, uh, find, find somehow come across people that are in similar situations, like-minded in them. And if, if that happens, that's when a culture begins to change. Not, you know, and obviously the church creates programs that help that, but I truly, deeply believe it comes from the individuals 
seeing the importance of it, getting that this is something you need to prioritize, not for the sake of the church, but for the sake of yourself, which will obviously benefit the church. Um, real quick, the one thing that my wife and I hold on to the most out of our premarital counseling from 20-something years ago, I remember, the guy, I remember where we were sitting. We were sitting at Taco Surf in Los Alamitos with the red and green chips. This is how my memory works. And, and the guy said, listen, I'm telling you, I don't know what it is. I can't tell you why it is. But, but listen, one of the most important things I've seen that, that gauges the success of a marriage is, is surrounding yourself with, with people that are like-minded, hold the same values. And, and he, I remember him saying, I don't know why it is. And, and over the years, I have seen time and time and time again the truth of that, the value of that, the detriment of that with the people that don't have it. And, and so I would just encourage you, it, it is truly in your best interest as an individual or a couple or a family to, to value this and to prioritize it. So as Elaine said, this might be a good time right here, right now for you to think, am, do I have uh, kind of healthy, deep friendships that fit in our family and in our rhythm in this season of life? And some of you might at this point just say, yes, I do have great friendships and I'm thankful for that. Others of you might say, you know what, in this season of life, we need some more friends. Uh, I remember a time with, uh, with my wife, that sounds sad, but it's again about that 10 year mark. It's like, we need to make friends. Like, we need to make couple friends. And so we joined a group, and I did my network of churches thing, and we intentionally walked a journey to, so that now we have a great, comfortable group of friends for this season of life that we're excited about. Um, but it took a little bit of work. took some intentionality. And what I can promise you is that Rancho will provide the opportunity. Wonderful opportunity. The whole vibe here, laughter, friendships connected inside and out. Every single thing we do from the, the, the May 23rd, you know, kind of grand reopening, onward is about connecting people and God-honoring relationships that we might actually be able to impact the world around us uh, as a group of friends advancing the cause of Christ together. Uh, we'll provide the opportunity. Um, please, please step in, lean in, and if you need a group of friends, you're going to find them here. So let's thank Ryan and Elaine for joining us. We appreciate it very much. It's been fun. We'll do it again. We're going to close our time uh, by taking communion together. And the reason why we're taking communion together on the week that we're talking about friends is because when Jesus gathered his disciples, he gathered them together as friends and shared this meal. He shared the bread. He shared the wine. He called them friends. In fact, he said in John chapter 15, this is my commandment. The one thing I'm leaving with you is to love one another. Love one another the same way I have loved you, which was selfless and sacrificial I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. So we can talk about the disciples as disciples, which is an academic term. They're the students. Jesus is the teacher. Jesus rarely used the term disciple, but here he calls them friends. Really what the church is, is a gathering of friends following Jesus Christ together, learning to embrace the love that God has for us and learning to love one another and then love this world the way Jesus loves us selflessly, sacrificially, living for the benefit of others. And so when he shared this meal together, particularly the bread and the wine, he says, share this meal in a very intentional way. And so you can open up that very, very top part and take out that little wafer there. And if you'd like, you can break it in half because when Jesus shared that bread at that last supper, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. If you don't have a communion cup, you can raise your hand and we'll, we'll get you one. Take that bread and break it. And understand when Jesus served that to his friends, these 12 friends who he lived three and a half years with, he lived life with these people and he knew he was about to leave them. He says, this is how much I love you. This bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of Jesus.
And then Jesus took the wine of the Passover, and I think there were four glasses of wine, cups of wine that were passed uh, during this meal. It was a great time, a great time of celebration, celebrating the freedom that we have by God's grace. He took the wine of the Passover, and he says, when you drink this wine at this meal, let it symbolize my blood, which is poured out for you. The love of God expressed through Jesus was so complete. As the word of God says, Jesus loved them to the very end. Jesus was creating such a movement of love, such a movement of friendship, that the power brokers of politics and religion had to put an end to him because this movement of friends was starting to, to really grow and to, and to threaten uh, those who were oppressing people through power and through religion. And Jesus said, this is going to cost me my life. This movement of friends is costing my life. My blood will be shed. But when you take this and when you drink this, let this remind you of the love that I have for you and the love that we're to share with the world around us. Take and drink in remembrance of Jesus. And then finally, I would like us to put something in our brain as we leave this week. Is it possible that this church could have the same reputation that Jesus had when it came to his circle of friends? Jesus had such a, a wide and weird circle of friends, it got noticed. The religious uptight people looked at the circle of friends that Jesus had and they shook their head. They shook their head in, the, in condemnation. They shook their head in, in disgust. They shook their head because Jesus' circle of friends included the people that the religious elite rejected. And so is it possible that this church, Rancho Church, could have the same reputation as Jesus? I hope so. And this is the reputation that Jesus earned because of the people that he was hanging out with, because of his circle of friends. Luke 7, the son of man feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. That's the reputation Jesus had. Because he was hanging out in, in people's houses that the religious elite were judging and condemning, because he was eating and drinking and feasting and loving life with this very wide, very diverse circle of friends, the religious elite said, Jesus, you and your friends are gluttons. Jesus, you and your friends are drunkards. You're just partying in each other's houses all the time. Jesus, you are a friend of sinners. They used those words to condemn him. But what if a church embraced that and said, bring that on? May we be the kind of church that other people, the religious elite, look at and go, they're just gluttons and drunkards and friends of sinners. Like, hey, he, heck yeah. Yes. Now, I'm not suggesting we become drunkards, but I'm suggesting that we enjoy this wonderful circle of friends. And yes, we eat. And yes, we drink. And yes, this place starts looking like a massive house party that Jesus taught about, that God welcomes everyone. And it's not this sour, frowny-faced religious nightmare, but it is a ton of fun. And people are laughing, and they're smiling, and they're enjoying each other, and they are eating, and they are drinking, and they are playing, and they are having fun. Why? Because God loves us, because God's grace is upon us, because he welcomes us, because he's both a father and a friend to us. And he says, would you just enjoy that with each other? And would you enjoy that in the world around you? Enjoy that with your circle of friends? And let's have a good time together. Let's have a good time together, embracing God's love for us and our love for each other. Sound good? All right. We can applaud that. Let's pray.
Our God and Father, uh, we see the, the parable of Jesus, that, that the kingdom of heaven here on earth is to look like and sound like and feel like a massive house party where everyone is welcome. And, and yes, the religious elite might be on the sidelines shaking their head, wondering what the heck is going on. But that's exactly what they accuse Jesus of, having too much fun with too many people, enjoying your grace, enjoying your goodness, and just celebrating each other. God, we want to be that kind of church, and I believe we are that kind of church. And when we reemerge more connected than we've been in a very long time, um, being able to be together and, and, and over time masks come off and hugs reemerge and handshakes, it, it, let this be a place of life, absolute life and smiles and laughter, people connecting with each other in, in ways that will deeply enrich and strengthen, enrich and strengthen uh, our lives. God, for your glory, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next week.